a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Motorcycle Superstore Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it, everybody. I'm Steve Mathis, Motorcycle Superstore, the uh, 2017 Fox gear that Kenny Roxon and the PC team uh, that we're wearing at Washougal is available August 1st at MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Whether you're going riding, bench racing, or uh, whatever it is, if you want the latest parts and gear, go to MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Top brands in gear, accessories, tires, parts, and apparel. PB-Pulp16 is the code. PB as peanut butter-Pulp16 is the code to save money there. And, of course, Fox Racing is presenting this as well. Foxhead.com. Visit your local authorized uh, dealer to get some Fox. If they don't have Fox, go to another dealer, please. Uh, Foxhead.com, the global innovation leader in motocross racewear. With me on the line to talk about his... um, Long and illustrious career in uh, in motorcycling, in water uh, craft, in uh, uh, all tons of things. Um, he's uh, right now he's currently the Kawasaki Racing Consultant at the races, which means basically he's the big boss at Kawasaki Racing. Bruce Sternstrom, what's up, Bruce? How are you? Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm looking forward to doing this. I always like talking to you at the races. It's fun. I feel like I learned yeah, something. <laughs> I think that's my job now. I'm a teacher. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I feel like you should maybe get a campfire at the races and get all of us around it and just tell us some stories and, and uh, give us some perspective on things, you know? Um, be interesting. So, I, I think uh, that's what happens when your hair goes from blonde to gray. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Um, it was, it's funny, though. Like, if you really think about it, um, whether okay, so uh, for a while there, you worked at Monster Energy. You were the VP of Sports Marketing. Uh, you've been back and forth at Kawasaki as director of marketing, director of racing. Um, now in your present role, um, you you were the founding team green. You uh, r- managing director of the IGASBA, which is the uh, International Jet Ski Boating Association. Which when you were doing it was was huge. But if you really think about it, Bruce, like whether it's having a racing team, whether it's promoting a series whether it's working with amateurs, whether it's being a sponsor of a massive series like you were at Monster, um, you've really got a super unique perspective of kind of all sides of the industry, and I don't know too many people who, who have that. So I always feel like you, you have a good handle on what everybody wants to accomplish in the industry. Well, I think, uh, and even maybe to add to that, one of the things I think that when I was uh, managing director for IJSBA, we were a sanctioning body. So you kind of get that side of it, the rulemaking, mm-hmm. the officiating. And so you tend to have a little bit different take, you know, with yeah. AMA and some of the other uh, entities that we work with, FIM, because of that. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of got a, a good handle on on everything. So, And also, too, like, 
Man, I've been around the pits a while. It's my 20th year of, of going to the races, either as a mechanic or, or as a media guy. And I talk to so many people in the pits that are, are, are unbelievably biased, unbelievably out of touch with anything but their sort of own wants and needs. And then I talk to you, and you're, you're all logical and everything, and it's all sane. It's a, it's a sane conversation. I, I enjoy it. I, I don't always get it from everybody, you know? <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, for, for the racing, I think to be successful, you have to have more than one hat. You know, I've obviously, you know, I've been with Kawasaki for a long time, and but, you know, for for it to work, you have to be understanding of, you know, what the sanctioning bodies need, what the promoters need, mm-hmm. what the fans are interested, the media, you know, all parts of it, because without each part, it's pretty tough to make it work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, hey, so Eli Tomac this year, big signing for the Monster Energy Kawasaki guys over there for you and, and the, everybody. Um, and he's, I'd say it's, you know, Daytona win, Southwick win. Um, but honestly, I don't think it's been as successful as probably all of us thought. Um, but there's certainly light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not like he's, you know, way off the pace or anything else. I, and I think people... Maybe myself included, didn't understand how tough it was at the beginning with this double shoulder surgery. But we guys won Washougal, and there's, like I said, light at the end of the tunnel. But overall, how's it been for you? How's it, how's it, how is the, uh, the level of um, concern going on over there at different times this year? Um, I wouldn't really say there's been a level of concern. I mean, um, one of the things that uh, before I, I came back to Kawasaki, I told him, I said, you know, we need Eli Tomac. <laughs> So it was kind of contingent on me going there would have somebody that we could really work with. Right. You know, I think, I just think that highly of him and he's, he's the real deal. And, you know, um, I think, you know, you talk about the double shoulder surgery. It's a, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And he's never once complained about it, talked about it. You know, he just goes out and does the work. So Mm -hmm. um, I think, Everybody knows that you don't just, you know, you don't just get off the hospital bed and start riding after that. But he pretty much did, right? And I guess too, you'd be there's 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 not much as worry either because you know the program he's got at home. You know he's working hard. You know that him and and John are, and, and Kathy uh, are all sort of straight up good people. Um, you know what I mean? So it's going to come. It's just, it's going to come. They're all doing the right things, I guess, is, is the bottom line. Yep. I think there's, um, you know, it, it's obviously when you're winning, um, I've always said you don't know why. When you're losing, you don't know why. You know, it's, right. it's kind of a tough deal. But, you know, he's a winner. And uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not concerned about, you know, what, you know, what's going to come mm-hmm. out of this thing because I, I know he's capable I've been on some teams too, and I've talked to some teams. Honda un- uh, unleashed a new bike in '09, and K- KTM had a bike. We had the same thing with aluminum chassis when I was at Yamaha. Your bike is new, and I imagine you're learning a lot from it as it as it goes on. And, and um, both everybody's learning a little bit more about what makes that bike tick. And it's not simple, real simple when a new model is introduced to just uh, slap on the old settings. I think it's it's actually been though fairly seamless. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that were changed in the bike, primarily the chassis, at this point we realize that all of the changes were good ones. Mm-hmm. So it does take a little bit of time to adjust, but 
um, I don't think that's been a a big part of any issue right, for right. us. Okay. Um, hey, let's go. Uh, let's go back in the time machine. We have a lot to talk about. I have a lot. This is a. I mean, you you let James Stewart go. You let Ricky Carmichael go. You fired Jeff Emig, Bruce. There's a lot to talk about with you. Yeah, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. But first, let's go back. You're from Minnesota, um, and uh, um, it's it's always interesting to me because me from Canada, I'm from Manitoba, and I found my way into the industry. And you're from Minnesota, and, and same idea. Um, how did you grow up in Minnesota? Obviously, did you ride dirt bikes and race dirt bikes, or how did you get into that to get over to California at some point? Well, I was always um, probably more on the technical side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I rode and raced some in uh, motocross and a little bit of flat track back in the day, and um, but I was always better on the you know mechanic side than right. I was the riding side. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of dictated a lot of things, I think, from there. But, um, I, you know, when I moved to California, um, I, I went to work for a big dealer, actually a big CZ dealer, and just happened to be a Kawasaki dealer. Okay. But um, we were heavily involved in motocross, and I learned a lot there. And then, of course, met a lot of people at Kawasaki, and that's how I ended up there. So you were in Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis, or, or some where? I was. I grew up in St. Paul. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, we lived in a little town, um, not so little, I guess, but uh, called Mankato, about thirty miles. Yeah. Or about eight, eighty miles south of Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, I know where that is. I've raced there before. I think there used to be a racetrack there back in the day. Yep. Um, there was. Yep. Um, so at some point, you like at some point in Minnesota, you must have told your parents. I I want to get a job at a motorcycle dealer in California. That's like that's that's the point where everybody's life goes. What if I hadn't done that? What if I, what if I just would have been scared to pack up my uh, whatever you had back then and and drive to California and find a job? Right. Actually, I, I was um, going to college in Mankato, and okay. um, a buddy of mine said, "Hey, I'm I'm driving out to California." He said, "You want to go with me?" And we're just going out. <laughs> Okay. You know, for between quarters in school. Oh, okay. And I stayed, and I just stayed. <laughs> Come on out for a trip, and then you never go back <laughs> home. Oh, that's that's right. I told my mom in 96, I said, hey, I'm going to go try this mechanic thing. I'll be back at the end of, in September, and um, I'll go to school, or I'll figure out what I want to do. And I was, I never went back, yeah, same thing. So I was like, I, was like, I really like this mechanic thing. I'll keep doing it, so. Yeah, my mother gave me some advice probably about that same time where she said, well, when you grow up, you can either use your head or your hands. And I said, I think I want to use both. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so you got a job at Cowie. You move on from the dealership. You met the people from Cowie. You, you got a job at Cowie uh, as a jet ski instructor. And I didn't even know this is in 79. I didn't know that jet skis were out in 79. I, I thought they were like... Early 80s, but when did the first, was this a stand-up, I would assume? Yeah, stand-up, and the, the first ones really came out in the, around 75, oh, right around that time. Oh, I didn't you know could that. Buy one. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, and, uh, but 79 was the, really when the big push was on, you know, to move the, you know, sell them and mm-hmm. make some, get, get the product out there. So what does that mean when Jet Ski Instructor? Um, we actually, I was part of a team um, of riders that went around the country and we did 
demonstrations on weekends and taught people how to ride them. Oh, no way. Well, how fun was that? Yeah. Jeez. Best job I ever had in my life. <laughs> right? Were, were, you, uh, were you a single guy at this time? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's up, ladies? Check me out on the jet ski. <laughs> um, was this oh, made all of us a thousand dollars a month? Thousand bucks a month. Um, and I would have paid them a thousand to do it. I know. Huh? So you'd set up at a lake or whatever local area, and then just uh, you know ride around, I guess. Yeah. Well, we had. I mean, it was actually it was a, a pretty big sized promotion at the time. There was a band and radio stations involved. And, yeah. You know, some of them were five, ten thousand people. Jeez. Were you able to do Were you able to do submarines yet at this point, or no? Uh, I don't think that that had been invented yet. <laughs> right, right. No one had figured that out. Are these four forties? Is that the first one? Yeah, four forties. Four forties. Oh man, I'd love to like find out. Like, whose idea was it at Cowie to start a, like a jet ski? Like, who who said, "Hey, let's take this motor." And I don't know what it's out of. It must be out. Of, was it developed solely for a jet ski? Um, I'm not sure where the right. motor came from. It's just real simple. Yeah. You know, two-cylinder engine, yeah. Yeah. Two-stroke. And, and somebody's like, hey, let's put it in a hole and you can stand on it. Like, it's awesome. Great idea. Um, So you do that. You're doing the jet ski thing. And they come to you at some point, and I think this is maybe this year two of Team Green, and say, hey, we uh, we got a new job for you. No more jet ski demos. Um, we're, you're going to start this amateur program. You're going to run this amateur program. Uh, how'd that come about? Well, um, Dave Jordan um, mm -hmm. was the first manager for Team Green, and I think was a did an awesome job. I mean, he what Dave understood, I think, about amateur racing was first of all he wanted to do it, and I think a lot of the of, of our competitors, you know, they put somebody in charge of the amateur program that was from pro racing, and it was like they they didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they right. were demoted or something. But Dave made us all feel like, hey, we were part of something bigger than that. And he really had a clear understanding about what the mission was. And when he re he left in the third year, and I took over mm -hmm. in that right at that time. And, like, I think I was the only one that wanted to do it, actually. <laughs> it, it was a lot of work. Man. They were looking was, around. Hey, get that guy. Get the jet ski guy. <laughs> do it. Yeah, it was like, it was like, uh, you know, anybody that wants the job, step forward, and everybody step back, and there I was. You know? <laughs> um, but it's phenomenal. And I guess you, you were there till 86, so you got a sense of it, because that's when it kind of started growing, right? Ponca, Loretta's, this is, bike sales are great. Um, um, did you have any idea kind of what you were doing as far as uh, uh, making a lasting impact? And having a program, really, look, you were out of it before uh, everybody started copying it, but... Team Green is was is the model for amateur support racing. It's phenomenal what that program has done. Well, it was, you know, it there were some things that happened um, as a result of the success of the program that weren't necessarily intended in the beginning, mm -hmm. such as developing top level talent, and that really wasn't what it was about in the beginning. It was about supporting local racing and dealers and. Mm -hmm. You know, riders that wanted to compete at the amateur level, and especially back in those days, amateur racing was huge. Right, you know, you'd go to an event, there'd be six, eight hundred riders. Yeah, yeah. And Loretta's really wasn't the one, right? It really wasn't. Ponca, Ponca was the biggest at that time. Yeah, which 
if you if you tell somebody that now, they look at you with a crooked eye, and you're like, no, 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 Ponca was was the the, the one to go to, the one to win. Yep, it was the biggest, and but I think you know the Coombs, um, Dave Senior, um, uh, you know he had a vision, and um, I think he he wanted people to have fun, and he wanted the the event to be more than just racing, and I think he did a great job. So you would have had Eddie Warren, right? Would have been one of your big guys. Yes. Um, yep. Who else am I thinking? Am I missing anybody? I got to think. Rodney Barr. Oh, Rodney um, Barr. Tommy Watts. Yep. So um, Carol Richardson, a lot of lot of talent. So when the Supercross series comes and says, "Hey, we want to start a 125 class," you kind of just flood it with your guys, right? At some point, like we were, it was just went it fell right into our hands right really <laughs> exactly right you're like oh cool yeah we'll put these kids in there uh yeah. especially back then we're ready yeah. yeah they could ride amateur they could ride supercross and amateur racing still there was like pro-am thing or whatever you know yes there was a pro-am class so you're at kawasaki for uh seven years and then uh the igasba comes and calls what are they even so this goes back to your jet ski roots, uh, well, not roots, but jet ski uh, deal. Did that is that how they they kind of found you? Did you did you know these guys? I'm I'm a little bit younger, so I don't really know how the the the, uh, the IJSBA started. I don't know when it started or how it must have been pretty uh, in its infancy at this point. Well, it it really um, the IJSBA started out of um, Kawasaki's money. I mean, basically, oh, really? it was a marketing it was oh. a marketing program to begin with. Oh, I didn't know this. And they, okay. it was because there was only the one brand mm-hmm. in the beginning. Right. So Kawasaki wanted, you know, people that bought jet skis to have something to do with them. So racing, they felt, was a big part of it, and that's how the organization got started. And it was all Kawasaki people that were on the board and – you know, the whole thing. Oh I, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, so it was really out of a Cowie thing. Um, so this is kind of the boon of watercraft racing, really, right? I mean, this is Jeff Jacobs and Fischetti and I, Rippin Kroger. Rippin Kroger uh, these kind of guys. People may not realize, but it was a big deal back then. It really was. And I, I um, you know, the we were, you know, we were on ESPN TV. Yep. And, I mean, it was, you know, we were paying... At that time, thirty-five grand prize money for the uh, our national series each round, and then a hundred grand for the world championship. So it was it was a pretty big deal. Was it always the finals? Always at Havasu? That was the big one. Always at Havasu? Was yes. That, I don't yep. know. It was always just it was it was like ah, let's go to Havasu. It's a cool city. <laughs> Have fun after the race and things like that. Yeah, we like doubled the population during that week. <laughs> I know, huh? City. Um. Yeah, it's crazy to think. See, yeah, and so at some point, uh, sit-downs come in, right? Like X2s. Kawasaki re- yeah. releases an X2. And then so you um, – I don't know. Is Yamaha out yet with a Superjet? I don't even know when that came. Maybe after you left. Yeah, Yamaha, the first craft they had, I think, was in, uh, let's see, 87. And then I think Sea-Doo in 88. So yeah, so those pe- were the first real you know, competitors yeah. for Kawasaki. Yeah, so now you've have like teams and like people free agents and people swapping uh brands and and which which uh which machine which uh machine works better for, you know, different things. It was uh it was a whole little big series that that people uh, we taped it all the time in Canada. We recorded it and watched it. It was great. It was awesome racing. Yeah, it was. It was fun and I think there was you know, it was a 
it was a different kind of sport, but the way that we kind of, you know, with my background in motocross, mm-hmm. I mean, basically our vision for it was motocross on water. Mm-hmm. And we developed the race courses and kind of the procedures and how to run it and how, you know, the events were conducted all from MX. So, Were you like Kevin Crower of the jet ski racing? I mean, was it all on your plate, kind of you were the final call? Or how did I was the, you know, in real world, you would have been like the president, I guess. Okay. The board members at that time were all the OEM yep. um, sales guys, mm-hmm. VPs and marketing people. And they didn't want me to have a bigger title than they had. <laughs> but really, but, <laughs> I used to laugh about that. But Yeah, but on site, you were the guy kind of determining what was going on or, or if there was disputes or whatever, right? Um, I was part of it. Yeah. Um, I had a... a a technical director and I had a race director and I mean, it was a, it was a real deal. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like some just, you know, hobby weekend. I mean, it was serious. Yeah. And big crowds, everything else, you know, um, like, like Jeff Jacobs, for example, he won the title a bunch of years and what would, I mean, what do you think he was pulling down in those times a year? Um, Like, was he, I would say in the 300 range. Really? Huh? So yeah, not far off moto for that era very similar and um yeah. i remember like guys like um you know mcgrath and uh some of the you know emig and some of the you know buddy Antonez and mm-hmm. those guys that show up at havasu for the world finals and they'd say man this sport's going to be bigger than motocross <laughs> and i said eh, i don't think so <laughs> but, uh and um, didn't dogger raise a little bit too oh yeah yeah no, uh, lachine was uh he wasn't one of the top experts, you know, that's kind of the class down. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, Hey, don't tell Turner I'm out here. You know, <laughs> typical leaves helmet on all day. Walker. Yeah. Um, and Fischetti, he was something else. My brother and I used to love Fischetti. He was our guy. <laughs> A lot of personality still to this day. I mean, he's, um, you know, Really uh, brought a lot of color to the sport, and he was a yeah. great rider, too. Yeah, absolutely, Still right? Um, Victor Sheldon, too. Victor Sheldon. Yeah, that's right. Slasher. What, how did I forget yeah. Slasher? Jeez. Yeah, and again, another one of those guys that, you know, in the heyday, we're, we're doing pretty well in this sport. And people don't – I don't know if people realize that. The this, this, this sport was very, very legit. So um, what was sort of the downfall of that racing? What do you think was – I mean, I, you know, you left in 96 to uh, to go back to Cowie, but what do you think um, kind of hurt that watercraft world? I think the, I mean, my opinion, of course, everybody yeah. has theirs, but I think the multi-seat, um, as far as the racing part of it's concerned, because mm-hmm. they forced, uh, you know, they had more power and they were bigger and heavier and made the race courses bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, they didn't, you know, the... The if you combine the like when you watch motocross, the bike and the rider together are kind of a unit, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, it's a certain style, and you can tell. Okay, here comes this rider, a certain style, and we had that with stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, Victor Sheldon or Fischetti. But when we went to the, you know, the the runabout classes, it's a boat. Right. It's like you're riding a boat. <laughs> So we lost that part of it, the, the personality, and I think that had a big impact on the sport. Probably, too. I mean, it's just easier. Jet skis were hard to ride for people. 
they were they well, took, it took skill. a lot of skill. Yeah, it took skill. Yeah. I mean, the the riders. You look at it, Jacobs, um, Fischetti, and uh, Victor Sheldon. Those guys were great athletes. Mm-hmm. Like we used to play pickup football games, you know, on when the day before the races, and those guys were really, really good athletes. Yeah, yeah, and instead people just kind of oh look, I can sit down and I can yeah drive a boat around around cones. Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a good time. Um, it was interesting when you say that the boats got bigger and, and faster, and you just kind of you know your your style isn't there. You, people might say it's a little bit like four strokes in our sport. You know, um, they've gotten bigger and faster, and I don't know even know if the stadiums necessarily can hold them anymore. If you know what I mean, like they're 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 so fast now. So, I think the it's big part of it. It's not the speed; it's the acceleration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or the sudden stop at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to Cowie, you go uh, from there. Why does that happen? How does that come about? You uh, you saw the future of jet ski racing, uh, maybe not. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't um, excited about you know multi passenger boat racing. You know, I called them sofas. You know, and I I just I thought the stand up thing, and that was the like I said earlier. I said that was the vision that I had for the sport, and I didn't have a you know I, I tried to push the board of directors into uh with the multi-passenger watercraft into like endurance racing long okay. you know, yeah. long distance racing mm-hmm. not close course racing but they all wanted to be at havasu because that's where the people were <laughs> right right so, so was there so I, I i decided you know i got um turner left mm-hmm. uh, right turner left kawasaki right at daytona of 97 mm-hmm. and i got a phone call so of course 97 that's frozier you step right in yes yeah yeah um you're like hey look timing at me. is everything <laughs> right yeah. right uh phenomenal year for jeff winning supercross and outdoors uh at that time well, and remember he'd already won the, the outdoors in 96 yeah yeah exactly right um and then uh was it rhino and huffman also on there yes Oh, so you, you were you there when when uh, when Rhino and 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 Fro got into a fight at Glen Helen? When oh were, yeah. Okay, that was that was under your watch when they're practicing yeah. together. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, great times, right? Uh, you're like Rhino, yeah. stop taking out your teammates. It's okay. It's fine. Well, it was actually it was the other way around. Oh, it was you know? okay. And yeah, and so Jeff was like, he was really worried, you know, because Rhino. I mean, he's a he's a burly dude you know <laughs> right and you know so jeff was like he called me on his cell phone he was locked in his car at glen helen he said hey rhino's gonna kill me you know and i said hey just leave just leave we'll deal with it later yeah. leave your bike leave your gear <laughs> whatever just get away from the from the raging animal named rhino <laughs> um uh when so you uh, you worked there. Jay Bone was obviously there. Um, who you know was his buddy and uh, and his mechanic. They made a good team. And we've talked to Jeff. I mean, we've all talked to Jeff many times. He's given many interviews to, to myself and, and and other guys. And he was kind of saying like he was burning the candle on both ends. Even those years. I mean, obviously we'll get to you know you you having to let him go. But um, did you have any idea? Did did you try to tell him, hey Jeff, you, you can't like he had the bus the next year and. Were you like, hey, uh, what's going on? How are you? Is everything okay? <laughs> we definitely had those discussions, and mm-hmm. 
you know, um, you know, I would get emails from, well, of course, 96 and 97 were awesome. Right. We even went to Japan in the off season and there was a big celebration uh, for the success, not only of that team, but, you know, we Doug Chandler had won the world Superbike mm-hmm. championship. And so all of us from KMC were invited over to Japan for this celebration. And, but I think, you know, Jeff, um, he, I think the, the biggest surprise in his life was winning the Supercross championship because, as you know, McGrath was such a talented rider and was on such a run that, you know, I think a lot of the guys had, I'm not going to say given up, but yeah, no. had conceded. <laughs> right. that. Jeff, I don't think, ever did. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was hard to argue McGrath's talent and his, you know, his, his success that he'd had. And I think winning that title that year was like a lot for him to to deal with. Right. You know. Yep. He yeah. He told me one time. Um, I said to him, Jeff, we were talking about his his work on TV, and he does a great job of it, of course. And I said to him, Jeff, I want to hear more. Um, you telling me about what these guys should do in Supercross. Um, be a little bit more critis- critical and tell me what you think. They should have done, and he actually told me, Bruce. I'll never, I'll never forget. He says, "I was never that good at Supercross," and I'm like, "Bro, you won the title." <laughs> like, I don't, I don't yeah. understand. He didn't have any ego. He's like, "I was never that good at Supercross." I'm like, what are you talking well, about? Well, he, you know, he used to say, kind of kiddingly, he said, "My style in Supercross is I'll get the whole shot and drag my feet to make dust so people can't get around me." <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, that was kind of the way he looked at it and and um but he was such a great starter and just, and even in you know supercross at that time is still a critical component of succeeding and right it put him in a great spot to succeed yeah yeah really right um at this time you're you're managing the race team are you dealing much with mitch and pc and all that or is that kind of like a um not really your your area where you know i'm obviously you seem at the race and stuff like that but i wonder how much te- how much does race team manager have to do with that um, yes, it was my responsibility at first. Uh, I think the first year I was there, uh, PC was actually under team green. Oh, they still. Okay. Yeah. And then we switched it over, I think in 98, maybe something like that. Okay. So yeah, under pro racing. Right. Right. So you're kind of, you're balancing everything. You're, you've got Rhino and, and Fro fighting at Glen Helen, and then you've got to make sure Mitch is okay and, and RC is there. And obviously the riders that he's hiring to as well, you, you guys all have a say in that. And then it's a big group discussion, right? Yes. Yep. Um, Still is today. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yep. So, all right. So 98 comes, Fro's got the number one plate, and I was a mechanic on the circuit then, and it was... It was mystifying to see him and how bad he was struggling. There was, uh, he, you know, I, I mean, I at that time to see a champion like okay, so if McGrath would have beat him in '98, you would have went okay, all right. I mean, it's Jeremy McGrath, but was it all just kind of off track stuff? Do you think that happened, or do you think it was some other things that was he not prepared coming into '98? Do you think it was something where he was like, like you said, maybe relaxing because he'd won the title? Um, I think it's a combination of things. It's never really one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we struggled a little bit with some bike issues that year, uh, chassis stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, that wasn't his fault at all. Right. And, um, but 
I think, you know, he wasn't helping himself. Let's put it that way. And, yeah. um, you know, so I think the combination kind of led to the, you know, the lack of results because, um, you know, obviously he was better than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was a bizarre thing to see the number one plate guy kind of he would start out front sometimes and just just go backwards and you're like, oh, geez, you know. Um, it was an interesting. Was it was the '98 bike? Was that the one that changed frame? You guys changed the frame out or something? That was '99. No, '99. Okay, so yeah, the 99. next next year uh, you've got him again. It's um, uh, Fro. Is it Larry Ward then? No. No, he's on Suzuki. Who do you got? Is it Rhino and Hoffman still? Yes. Yeah, so he's kept the same team. Um, and, yeah, th- that was the year I think one of those guys switched back to an old frame and someone, Damon Hoffman, didn't know and there was all this drama on the team. Does, do you remember, does that ring a bell at all? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, 98, um, everybody was on the same everything chassis. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you know, they had their options to yeah. pick different, you know, parts and engine parts and chassis parts, but the, the, everybody was still, I mean, the the frame and the 97 and 98 chassis were the same. Oh, okay. All right. So it was 99 then. I remember one of them told me, I remember Huffman told me that somebody switched frames and there was a, everyone was mad. You weren't supposed to be able to switch frames. You know how that goes. I don't know. <laughs> um, so Fro's struggling all year in 99, and, of course, we the Havasu incident comes. Um, and you've got to let him go, which this was a huge deal in our sport back then. You, you know, the multi-time champion and uh, gets arrested in Havasu uh, for drug paraphernalia. Um, what's your first? Wh- where are you when you first get this phone call? Wh- what are you doing? What time is it? Um, I don't remember when I first learned of it um, where I was, but. I remember the next day I was in the office and talking to my boss and some legal people and right. so forth. And yep. I said, you know, it was, it was just so disappointing, you know, at that point. And, you know, he's already struggling. And right. and as, as a result, the team is struggling because, you know, he was our guy, our mm-hmm. top, you know, producer at that point. And I never say there's a number one guy. We, we've never really played that game on our team. The guys kind of determine who's the number one guy right. in our estimation. But, you know, he'd been the guy that had been providing results. And that was – it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life because – For sure. Jeff and I went way back. You know, he was uh, – we hired him at Team Green. Mm-hmm. In, uh you know, he was 12 years old. Right. And – um you know, so it was it was tough because I knew, you know, him really well and his dad and his brother and, you know, sister. Right. Just, you know, yeah. just like you do when, you know, it isn't something that the last thing you want to have to do. Yeah. And, and again, you're like, so Jeff tells a story that you called him and you said, Jeff, uh, Kawasaki's going to let you go and, and it's my decision. And, and he, he says it now like it was a you know wake up call to him and, and it really helped out. But um, the way he says it, it was it was your you know your maybe the way you described it was it was your final decision uh, from your bosses like Bruce. What do you want to do? And you said we got to let him go. Was that kind of hundred percent correct? Yeah, you were. And uh, um, and it was just something that you know it. I I had to weigh through my head. You know, like well, what if this was. Any rider, you know, the yeah. 
yep. best rider on the team or the the least, you know, the rider that's producing the least, mm-hmm. I have to be able to make the same decision. Right. And um, so it was it was hard because, um, you know, we had to do the right thing. And even though you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's tough, man. Especially like, again, he's your star guy. No matter how he's doing it in the um, in the points, he's got a lot of fans. He's got a lot of brand equity, you know, with Kawasaki, everything else. He's, he's done all that um, with his results and, and, and all that. So you're not, yeah, his results weren't great, but, yeah, you're letting go a little bit of a Kawasaki icon, right? Well, and, and the other thing that a lot of people don't know, we just signed him the, that uh, off-season to a mm-hmm. two-year deal. Right. So so we're in the middle of year one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, it was big news back then. Huge news in our in our world. That's no doubt about it. Um, are you? I mean, obviously, you and him are, are still friends. Very good friends. Was it strained for a while? How was it for a little while? Uh, did he? Would he call you? You know, he tried to do his thing on a Yamaha. He won the U.S. Open. You know, we were all saying, well, "Oh, that's Sternstrom." What a mistake! Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, but. you know the, you know he when he started his own team. Remember the Edge yeah. um, team? Yeah. It was Kawasaki team, and we supported him. And oh, you did? Okay. It was, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, there was there was no hard feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was unfortunate. I mean, you know, there's obviously mixed emotions, but there was never any like we don't like Jeff Emmick, right? You know? And right. It, it's that was never ever part of it, and. It's just something that we had to do, and you know the the hardest thing was I remember the the week the the race after he was let go um, was we had a race in Binghamton, mm-hmm. New York. Yep. And I get to the track, and there was Ricky Carmichael sitting in our trailer, and he says, "What happened? <laughs> What's going on?" Right. Because he loved Jeff. Yeah. yeah. And um, he would say, "Man, I was looking so forward to." racing with Jeff next year because we'd already signed Ricky to yeah. you know to race on our team the next year and mm-hmm. he was just so disappointed yeah um, and you're like well sorry buddy <laughs> and, yeah um so we move into the Carmichael era at Kawasaki and look he he'd won three straight 125 titles outdoors and he won the supercross titles but I always tell people like I don't think that first year on a, on a Cowie in the big bike class he struggled in Supercross, and uh, um, I would have bet anybody at that time that I don't think he would be this incredible Supercross rider that he turned out to be. Do you agree? Did you ever did you ever see early on like, oh, I don't know if this kid's going to get it? Well, you got to remember, times were a lot different back then. Um, nobody had a Supercross track in their backyard, mm-hmm. so when these guys moved up. And, you know, to pro even on 125 in that time, yeah, you know, they'd never ridden Supercross before, ever, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was it was really tough for these guys because all of a sudden here you go, and um, you know, Ricky was even if you ask him at that time, he would tell you he said, I don't know if I'll ever be a good Supercross yeah. rider. Yeah, like he was really concerned about it, and <laughs> and you know, and I would say that he wasn't alone. There were a lot of guys that yeah. came up through the ranks that felt that way. Yeah, we knew he was so and, good outdoors, and yeah, just. But there's nobody I've ever met that was more determined than him to to do something, and 
you know, um, he he was stubborn for sure. Mm-hmm. And his mom, of course, was stubborn. <laughs> right. But, you know, they were committed, fully committed to getting it done. And, um, you know, so I wasn't. I wasn't so worried. Okay. I mean, we, the first year in 99, um, our plan was originally to have them ride west 250 and then put them back on east 125. Oh, it was? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, we wanted to get him some experience on the big bike. And then he got hurt in San Diego. San Diego, yeah. And that kind of blew the plan, really. Uh-huh. So when he came back, I think his first race back might have been Tampa, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, yep. Um, it was pretty deep into the series, so we just left him on the 250. And that's, we, we you know, it was all mutually agreed upon, of right. course. But that's, so the plan wasn't, didn't come out exactly as we had hoped right. at that time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the MotorcycleSuperstore.com RacerX podcast. Thanks for listening, man. These things are going great, and I'm stoked with the responses from everybody, and uh, you guys have been doing a great job with the downloads. Don't forget the Fly Race and Moto 60 show on Thursdays, the Pulp MX show on Mondays, the NFAB Racer X Fantasy show sometime in the middle of the week, and the Motorcycle Superstore, they're a passionate team who speak moto. If I'm talking about going riding, bench racing from the latest company ride to the latest parts and gear. This is what drives them to be a place for you to check out all things motorcycles with the top brands and gear, accessories, tires, parts, and apparel. If you want to save there, they got everything you need to get out and ride. Go to the website to check out their in- inventory of brands, uh, over 700 of them. Do you speak moto? If you do, go to MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Use the code PB-PULP16 to uh, 10% off participating brands. PB-PULP16 saves you money. All right, let's get to these commercials from Racetech and Michelin and MotorcycleSuperstore.com. Thanks for listening. See you after the break. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, and probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com, and they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin. 
Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension and tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelins uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this... Uh, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting, traction, handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out at the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. And really, one of your number one goals for the Carmichael era and he eventually got it, as we know, and he, you know, he got in shape and beat, took down the king. Um, but I imagine your goal, and you know, is just dominating outdoors, just ridiculous outdoor results week after week after week. Your biggest problem was probably trying to keep enough parts going back to Tallahassee, enough bikes, enough frames, that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, he <laughs> rode a lot. He rode, and yes. I mean, if especially like the week uh, or two weeks, let's say before Southwick, mm -hmm. he had a sand track that he practiced on, and literally, we'd go through a motor a day. Jeez, <laughs> I like, said, yeah. I got to teach you how to clean an air filter here before too long. Yeah, no, but really, right? Um, we went there. Tim Ferry and I went there in '99, and there was. Various Kawasaki's in states of of, of, of disrepair, uh, forks, works, forks and shocks in the corner with cobwebs all over them. I'm just like this place. These guys have more parts here than a Kawi, any Kawi dealer in the country. Well, <laughs> um, I used to tell our staff at the staff meetings, and I said, "Look, at he's going to win unless we screw it up." <laughs> you know, it's pretty much pre preordained. So. Right. Just don't screw it up. So whatever they need, you know, let's, mm -hmm. let's make sure they have it and we'll worry about, you know. Yeah. And I think we were, the, we were the first team, I think, that really committed to giving our riders factory bikes for practice. Oh, really? Yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah it, it, you're right. It, it wasn't always the case, for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, when he left Cowie um, to go to Honda did you did you have an idea he wanted out? You you've told me before it was never a money thing. It was never, hey, we we can't afford him. Hondas the big bad Honda guys are are outbidding us. It was really him looking for a change, um, on a bike situation, right? He wasn't that pumped on the bike. Um, I think, um, 
There was a couple of things in play, I think. One is, um, you know, you got to remember who was training him at that time mm-hmm. um, or advising him, maybe and training him, was Johnny O'Mara, right. who was a Honda guy. Yep. So, you know, I think Johnny had a lot of influence that, you know, um, you know, Honda's better, Honda's this, Honda, Honda, Honda. Okay. And I think over a period of, you know, a year or so, whatever, that, you know, you just start, you wake up in the morning and you're saying Honda, Honda, Honda. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's fine, you know, and there was, there was kind of more to it than that. Yes. Um, you know, we had approval to match the Honda offer from right. Japan. Yeah. They, they would have done it. But the, for me, the big part of it was more of the cycle of when our, our 450 was going to be there. And, Knowing that, even though at that time most of the guys are still riding 250 two strokes, yep. um, I knew that that was going to change, and and it did fairly quickly. Yeah, and you know it's hard to say. All right, you can have a 250 two stroke or a 450. Uh, let's see, what are we going to do here? Right, right, you know, right. It's pretty simple. Yeah. So, but um, so and we were behind in that area at that time. Kawasaki was and. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, our plan at the time was be that we would get our 450 in 05, um, which would have been for Carmichael three years later. It would have been, I think, kind of unfair to him in some ways. Right, so right. we had this young man named James Stewart that fit kind of our, our model plan better. Well, I was I was gonna so, say like yeah if you if you don't have Stu coming up maybe you guys match that offer. Well, it it, it might have, it would have for sure changed things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, sad to see sad to see him go for sure. Uh, when he's done so much for Cali, I mean, literally ridden KX sixties, you know, until yep. uh, in, until then. Um, and I guess for you, yeah, like you. I, I, I think I've been on some teams where riders left. Very, um, the team's very determined to sort of show everybody what they can do. Like, hey, we, we, we don't necessarily need this guy to win, right? Or was there a bit of that motivation mm-hmm. going around? I, I think more, um, you know, I mean, uh, Ricky was a big part of our fabric right. uh, on our team. You know, we had guys like Norm Bigelow and Rick Ash that had been there from the Wardy days, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were – really bummed about the whole thing, probably the most of anyone in a sense, because um, they'd been around and, you know, they knew guys like of that talent level just don't come around every day. So, but they, but they understood. And um, it, it was, you know, it was a big loss for us. And the way that it was done or the way that it played out, you know, it wasn't people were mad at Ricky or Ricky was mad at us. It was just something that happened. Right. So we always maintained, I think, a a real good relationship with him, you know, through the years. Yeah, and I think people, I think some people think Big Bad Honda just blew your money offer away, and we're here to say that that is not true. That is not, you know, that you is guys, not true. Yeah, you guys could have matched it ha- had you wanted to. Um, Bruce Sternstrom uh, here on the MotorcycleSuperstore dot com RacerX podcast. Um, how did you, how did you navigate? How did you direct? the ship uh, in the waters of James Stewart. I don't want to ride for Mitch Payton. I want to be on the factory team. How did that go down? 
<laughs> Actually, it wasn't really that way. Okay. Um, All right. It yeah. It um, what had happened is as we're um, re-signing James at the same time, Ricky's leaving. So both their contracts were up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, he got an offer that, and I won't say from who, but um, from another team that said, we'll make you a factory rider. Okay. So they came to us and said, hey, look, at, we want to stay at Cowie. And, but, you know, we want to, I mean, this is the offer we got. And they showed it to us. Yep. And, you know, we matched it. We had to match it. And, yeah, Mitch wasn't happy about oh, it, quite I frankly. I bet. I wasn't, it wasn't my first choice. But, you know, we, I said, this is the, what we have to do. It's the best for Kawasaki. And this is what we're going to do. We can't lose the kid. Right, we don't want to lose yeah. this guy. Um, he's going to win right. for us. Um, I can imagine some phone calls around then, Bruce, were not not pleasant around that area. Actually, I think <laughs> Mitch was, you know, obviously he wasn't happy about it, but he handled it, I think, really well. Yeah. Um, also, too smart of the other team to put factory in there because they knew your situation that everybody goes to pro circuit first, right? So. Well, they put a bit of a poison. Got us another rider. <laughs> we ended up with one more 125 rider because of it. Yeah, that's so true. Might have backfired on him. <laughs> that's a good point, right? And you're <laughs> like, "Hey, Rick, fire up the 125 cylinders. Let's get busy." Yeah. <laughs> um, and we had a little catching up to do there, but yeah. Um, um as t- t- you touched on the four-stroke thing earlier, um, did you have any idea early on that that's what? we're going to do that's what's going to happen that's where it's going to go obviously by the time the 250f hit we all knew that this was a foregone conclusion but it wasn't like henry was killing it you know what i mean the vegas thing he did obviously but i remember thinking like okay the the the, uh the gimmick bike one all right whatever who cares what were your first thoughts were you like oh boy we got we got trouble yes because um you know they what is the old saying there's no replacement for displacement <laughs> yes you know that, that and, is, uh, yep. and um we knew the bikes were you know uh, a little top heavy and there were you know some issues with weight and there were some issues with handling and chassis and things mm-hmm. like that but mm-hmm. um we also knew that that would get sorted out and <clears throat> you know <clears throat> excuse me um we just you know that eventually that was the way to go and it, it had been kind of predetermined because all the manufacturers um, through MSMA had agreed to go this direction. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the truth is, you know, that it's hard to develop and inefficient, really, to develop side-by-side uh, compatible two-stroke, four-stroke. And as we know now, the two-strokes aren't really competitive in that those categories anymore. And um, it's partly because... We were probably at ninety some percentile of efficiency yeah. at the time anyway, you know? Yeah, yeah, for and sure. And the four strokes were probably at fifty percent. Yep. So, you know, you just look at the displacement, you look at the potential, and you go, uh, okay. Yeah, because really you better get going. By the time the four strokes came around, even before the four strokes came, the val- yeah, you're right. The what what more could we have done to two fifty two strokes? We were we were changing graphics and suspension and some things with the carburetors. You know, there wasn't wasn't a whole lot of development left to do. 
two left to go. And even the production bikes were getting pretty good. You know, we yeah. weren't wholesale yeah. replacing parts like we had even five years earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Stu moves into the team. RC goes, Stu comes in, and instantly becomes, you know, probably still one of the greatest riders of all time. And, um, um, you know, carries the Kawasaki flag for a long time. But I'm interested more in the sense of whether it's Ricky, James, RV, which you were gone by then when RV moved up into the team. But these guys, how do you deal with the egos, the people, the entourages? Uh, You know, they all have them, maybe worse now than ever before. Um did sometimes it, it? I imagine sometimes you were managing things that you really didn't think you'd be managing. Uh, you know, it's not all about racing at some points. Well, it's 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 only part about racing, you know. And right, um, a big part of it is you've got you know young people and their families that are going. This is their first and only lap on the track. You know, for us, we've been through it before yeah, right. with other, other riders, other families. But it's hard to tell them, hey. The guys we've had here before, this is what they learned, and now you need to learn it because they're like, no, no, we're different, you know. So mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you can only, you have to be careful about how you use your influence because they, you know, they think in some cases maybe they're smarter than we are, and maybe they are at some point. <laughs> Sometimes, but right. it's, you know, it's the the idea is you have to work with the, you know, the rider and the families that you have and and make the best of it. And, um, you know, it's, so it, it is a little, it can be a challenge, but mm-hmm. I think for me in particular, you know, the four or five years that I spent at team green, I mean, was extremely valuable because you're working with families and, you know, you know, the names of, you know, grandma and grandpa, the dog, the cat, the <laughs> right. brother and sister. And, Yep. You know, you get into that side of it, and I think it was really helpful for me. Um, at some point in your tenure at Kawasaki, Monster Energy grows and grows and grows, comes out of Hanson's uh, beverage, and, and they sponsor the team, and, and James is forever a Red Bull athlete. So I guess once that happened, I imagine Camp Stewart told Camp Kawasaki, we are out of here. Because we want to run Red Bull, right? And that last year was a little awkward and weird. Um, I was at that time. I was in marketing, and Mike Fisher was the team manager. Um, I was still involved, mm-hmm. you know, on kind of a high level, right, type situation. But um, I think, you know, I, I give Stewart's a lot of credit because they were very loyal to Red Bull, yeah. which is, you know, what you're hoping. And I think they were very loyal to Kawasaki, too. Um, the thing is, uh, we were sponsored by Monster, and <laughs> yeah. we were very loyal to them. Right. So it really came down to, okay, this is what we're doing, and this is what, and you know, we need to do, and this is what we need you to do. And I think Monster had made them a very, very nice offer, and they wanted to stay loyal to Red Bull. So that's it was that simple. Yeah. It really it yeah. wasn't there was no anger or anything like that. It was just, you know, this is a some of the business part of it and Yeah. The, yeah, the, unfortunate. The guy goes 24 and 0 and I was around the truck a lot uh with Fish and he didn't see eye to eye with Fish and he's 24 and 0 and he's leaving. We everybody knows he's leaving because it's a energy drink deal and 
I don't know if I've ever seen a truck as unhappy every time, and the guy's just whooping everybody. Like, he didn't want to be there. The team knew he was out. He was putting towels over the monster logo, and it was a real weird deal. And then he was fighting with Fisher. You know, like, it was, uh, like I said, for, for 24-0 in his last go-around, it was very strange. Well, like I said, I think, you know, I think if you ask James today or his dad or both, yep. they would they might consider doing it differently. Yeah. Yeah, really, right? Um, yeah, but I don't know that for sure, yeah. but I would think that they might. Yeah. No, I and, um, uh When you were the marketing guy, did you um, – when you moved from race team to marketing, did you enjoy that or did you miss – like I find – Guys, sometimes guys miss the they miss the rush, they miss the action. Uh, marketing's a little bit more laid back, a little bit more. Um, well, I guess you had to worry about Stu covering the monster logo. That's not great marketing, but <laughs> but but you know, did you miss it a little bit, or did you, did you enjoy the sort of uh, maybe not traveling as much? Um, I the marketing, you know, the time I spent as director of marketing for Kawasaki for me was a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. I worked with some really good people. Um, if I had to say, it was kind of interesting. The first day that I was on the job, I, one of the senior guys came up to me and that I'd known for a long time and said, yep. Bruce, you just got the best job in the company. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I think I just had the best job in the company. <laughs> well, and I would you... stand on that. <laughs> well, was it not your choice to leave? Or did they say, um, hey, go be marketing guy? Um, basically, the president called me in his office, the Japanese president, Mr. Hamada, mm-hmm. and said uh, in one sentence, uh, Bruce An, do you accept director of marketing? <laughs> oh, okay. And I said, <laughs> yes, because there's no, there's no other answer. No. <laughs> I mean, you don't say, uh, let me think about it for a week. You know? Oh, I didn't know that. Like, oh, okay. No. It's just you're you don't have a choice, you know, or you're instantly immobile within the company. Um, yeah, really, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. I figured a guy like you could maybe call his shots a little bit, and you wanted to step back a bit. But so no, you became marketing guy. Um, yep. And uh, and then shortly after that, you you uh, you moved to Monster. Uh, you're there three years at director of marketing, uh, and then you moved to Monster, and now you're on the other side. And I've talked to you about Monster's growth and and their thinking and everything else, and we don't have time to cover all that here. But what an interesting, dynamic, amazing story this company is. It's phenomenal, yeah. right? It really is. And, you know, one of the uh, coolest things and one of the things that I really, you know, was, was curious about and part of the reason that I accepted that job was, you got to work for a company that I'm not going to say it was a startup because it wasn't. They'd already been, you know, eight, 10 years into their, you know, to their company as monster, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But you're working with the CEO, Rodney Sachs and CFO, Hilton Schlossberg and the president, Mark Hall, that started it. And the passion that they have and had and still have for the business and and the vision that they had, you know, you're you're right at ground zero, really. Right, right. And it was, you know, there was no, you know, it's not like, you know, like a third generation company where, you know, the guy gets a job. I don't know what we're doing, you know. <laughs> you know so, 
I mean, these guys were super pure about what the direction of the company was and, and that, uh, you know, the results were, uh, to be honest with you, spectacular. Amazing. I mean, the company yeah. is really, really good. I get a little bummed out on my different shows, and I think I've told you this too. Whether it's Monster or Red Bull or Rockstar or these other guys, I get bummed out because I feel like, Bruce, there's some guys in these in these companies that aren't racing people, okay? They're, they weren't Team Green in 1983, uh, or they didn't race dirt bikes their whole lives like myself. And, and I feel like there's guys at these companies, and I'm not accusing anybody specifically, but they they write the checks, and I feel like, okay, thank you for writing the check for my team. Um, you put your trust in me, and I'm going to you know run this race team and hire the riders and, and you know and all that. But stop telling me what to do. Um, you don't have the background, the knowledge, the 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 uh, intuition that I do from a life spent in moto. And I feel like what like I said, any of these energy drinks, I feel like they have way too much say, and they don't necessarily know what they're doing because they haven't been around that long. And I just it bums me out a bit, Bruce. It, it, I, I know they write the checks. I get it, but come on, man. These guys like they seem to you know have a lot of say in what goes on. Yeah, I. I never really looked at it like that, okay. you know, because I never, I felt like, you know, they were making a significant contribution, as you said, right. but I think at Monster, um, you know, I look at the CEO, Rodney Sachs. I mean, I would come in on Mondays and he would know every lap of every race from F1 to MotoGP to motocross to MXGP to, I mean, he was totally into it and maybe yeah maybe he didn't have the same insights right because you know you can't really i mean he wasn't a team manager for a motocross team but yeah he he was very knowledgeable about what was going on and who was who and you know and so you know i don't know how a guy at his position typically wouldn't have the background and the the intense interest to you know I think to to be knowledgeable about those sports, right, right, yeah, that, that could be just me shaking my fist at a cloud, you know, like an old man. But well, you know, maybe you know, maybe not everyone's the same. All the companies, but right. you know, they, I think they do have um, opinions because they are <laughs> yeah. heavily invested and involved too. I mean, they're knowledgeable enough. So, yeah. but I think I think some people maybe take it the wrong way that. They're telling you what to do. Maybe they're saying this is, you know, like we, the relationship that I have or Kawasaki has with them is, Mm -hmm. you know, they have their opinions and we talk about it and then, you know, it's up to us to make the decision. Right. Yeah. Uh, Not, not so much on a factory Kawasaki level, but for sure on smaller levels where they'll say, Hey, you got to put this rider on your team. And you're like, that guy's not, not good or, you know, whatever. And you're just like, Oh geez, you know, I mean. I don't know. It bums me out sometimes. But would we have an industry right now if it wasn't for the energy drink guys? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, we would. Yeah. We would. It'd be different. Right. It'd be different. Maybe I wouldn't have as. Maybe I wouldn't make as much money as I would covering the sport. You know, without those guys type deal. So who knows? You know. Well, you know the one. The one thing that you could say without a doubt is the marketing they've done for our sport wouldn't be there. No. Because yeah. all three of them push moto heavily. Yeah, and um, that's that's important for us. Do you th- see a day when they decide they're out? 
I don't think so because they're kind of born on it, right? They're they're born with Moto as their their marketing. But do you ever see a day? I mean, look, we saw uh, uh, you know uh, Coors Light and Camel and, and Levi's or Wrangler, I should say, come in and out. You know. Yeah, I think I think for for you know forever is a long time, but you know for sure I know in Monster that they feel very strongly. At least when I was there, it could change, but mm-hmm. that you know this was the sport that got them on the map. And they they have a lot of um, powerful, strong feelings about that part of it, about what this sport did for their company. Yeah. Um, Because they, at the time, they couldn't afford F1 or NASCAR or anything else. Mm -hmm. They didn't, you know, they they weren't big enough. And now they can. (laughs) So Moto carried the day for them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'll wrap it up here, Bruce. We got still so many more questions for you. Jeez, I can't even get through half my stuff. Why'd you uh, Why'd you leave Monster there for three years? Uh, and again, you were a pretty high up guy, a VP of sports marketing there. Um, why'd you leave? Did you want to? Did you get called into office and say, "Bruce, son, you are leaving"? <laughs> <laughs> I no. Um, I think I missed the, you know, being part of just you know, kind of like when I was in marketing, even yeah, just yeah. being part of a team, you know, mm-hmm. the racing part, and it's different when you're. I call like a plaid shirt guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Versus a guy with a team shirt on. Right, it's right. A different. It's a different role. Yeah, Gardia is a Gardia is a plaid shirt guy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you're not. Um, uh, and then so Kawasaki comes calling again. Well, you do is a little bit of consulting for IMG. Is that? Uh, that's what is IMG? IMG is a huge company. Represents a lot of actors. Actors, act, I okay, guess they're that, all actors now. I was thinking yeah. that, so you're that IMG. Yeah, yeah okay. The huge yeah. massive and agency, they, right. They had a motor, or they still do, have a motorsports division out of London, England. That, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, okay. Runs the World Rallycross and World Speedway Championships. Oh, okay. So. Doing a little bit of that. Kind of just. It was good. Yeah. Was it, yeah, it was a little bit, was it, were you traveling still? Were you going to these things? Uh, some. Yeah. Some. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then Kawasaki comes calling back again for you. Um, and there's no secret. Look, there was uh, there was um, the Villapoto thing was a, a little um, weird, uh, where he wanted to uh, not race, but uh, then sort of I think talked into doing the GPS at some point. Uh, Davy Millsaps hired to be the star rider, and then of course he was let go. Um, you know, for something that they found in his locker. And it did seem at times that Kawasaki, which it, whether it was um, Amig or Carmichael or Stu or Villapoto, a winning machine for so long, um, there was did seem to be a little bit of a of a um, turbulent waters, let's call them. Is that, do you think part of that reasoning, all that kind of stuff I just said, they're like, all right, let's get, let's get someone to steer the ship again that kind of, has been there, done that, worked with very successful riders. I mean, is that maybe part of the reason why they called you up? I, I, I would be my guess, but I don't know how much you want to get into it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm kind of a, not kind of, I, I say like a no-nonsense guy. Uh-huh. You know, that's typical Midwest, you know, kind yeah, of Scandinavian, yeah. you know, a few words and, <laughs> and more action. You right, know, but, right, right. And I think, um, you know, there was a, uh, a change in, you know, at Kawasaki as far as where racing was placed in mm-hmm. the company. And so, I, you know, I think it was just something that 
they wanted maybe a change there. And I, I didn't, I didn't really, to be honest with you, I mean, I have a lot of friends there still. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, for several years, you know, I hadn't even probably been in the building. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, yeah, I just, it just kind of, I was surprised, honestly, yeah. when they called because, um, I wasn't thinking about that, but yeah, it, uh, did it, did it take you long to accept or were you, were you stoked? Were you like, yes, yes, I'm in like, well, um, because IMG consultant Bruce sounds pretty sweet to me. Yeah, it was. It is still. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing it right now, but I mean, right, it's, right. it was great people to work with, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, yeah, good. Right. So right. I, 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 uh, I don't know. I just felt like maybe there was an opportunity to. I mean, I'm, you know, it's hard for me not to say I'm a Kawasaki guy. You know. Yeah. And yeah. I think people, when they see me, even when I when I was working at Monster, even people say, hey, "How's things going at Kawasaki?" You know, it's like three years I'm gone. You know, and it's like, right. so you're like, oh, it's yeah. like, you can't really wash the color off you. You know, right? Yeah. So I think it was, you know, I want to see them succeed, and they mm-hmm. had some things that they wanted to get done, and I said, okay, as long as you support it, I'm good. Yeah, you're back. You're back in the fire, kind of. You know. Um, yep. Dan Fahey is the manager, the race team manager, uh, comes from the road race background, Canadian, by the way. So he's, he's okay in my <laughs> books. Um, although he doesn't really know much about hockey and all that, which makes me upset. But, um, Dan is maybe one of the more understated dudes in the pits. Uh, lots of egos in this sport, lots of money, lots of, uh, you know, things going on. And I feel like Dan Fahey, um, maybe nobody knows who he is. He's very, he's a, a little bit like you where he's soft spoken, um, what do you like about Dan? Well, first of all, he's a lot smarter than I am, for sure. <laughs> um, which, you know, I think, you know, if you're going to be in charge of something, you need to hire people that are smarter than you are, and, and he's definitely <laughs> one of those guys. I'm going to remember he's, that. Uh, I'm to remember that. That's going to be uh, it's going to be my lifelong uh, mission. <laughs> <laughs> and you surround yourself with smart people. You don't have to be as smart, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Dan is, you know, he's a, he's a real engineer, like got a, a real card that he can hang up, you know, yeah. in his, uh, above his desk. And he's very good at analyzing things. And, you know, he's, he's, um, he's, like you said, he doesn't just, he's not a guy that's going to speak up, you know, at a, no. at an AMA shouting fest or something, you know, he'll just <laughs> right. sit and listen and he'll go, oh, okay, well, what if we did this? And then everybody goes, whoa, where'd you come up with that? Yeah. But, you know, he's very analytical. He's, um, you know, he's a good guy. And uh, I think I think he's somebody that, you know, can do this as long as he wants to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, really. Right. It's definitely, uh, like I said, a lot, of people, a lot of people may not know. Like you're now that you're back, you're kind of the face of Cowie. But there is a manager named Dan Fahey. He's just he's just low key. So, yeah, I'm more on the, you know, the marketing side. I might be the guy more to to get out of control with the AMA or something, you know, and then he can right. fix it later. Right. But, um, um, speaking of that, we'll wrap this up with this simple question, Bruce. Uh, what do we need to fix in our sport? <laughs> um, I like talking to you about it. Cause again, you come from all sorts of different backgrounds uh, and different unique positions in the industry, in and out of the industry, whether you, I mean, you probably learned a ton at IMG and the way they think of things and the way they do things. Um, I'm not exactly pumped on the way things are going in our sport. Again, I make a living from it, and I enjoy it very much. But whether it's four strokes being a little bit, I don't that 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 is that that uh, 
that cow is out of the barn. You're not going to bring that in. But um, whether it's the FIM being involved and the AMA somewhat, and then MX Sports is its own deal, of course, and they have some rules and everyone tries to get along and, you know, but not everyone does. What do we need to do? How do we get, I mean, we're getting decent ratings on TV, but how do we get better? What do we got to do for our sport? Do we got to fundamentally change racing format, change racing rules? I'm almost uh, on that side of things. Well, I think the it, what's important to remember is, you know, it, we're, it's still motorcycle racing. It's never going to be car racing. I mean, everybody in the world, well, not everybody in the world, but everyone in the free world is pretty much driven or ridden in a car. Mm-hmm. And probably, what, 10, 12% have ridden on motorcycles. So, yeah. you know, you, the, the interest level is just not the same, and we can't compare the two. But, um, you know, the... So I, I don't. I think when people say, "Oh, we should be bigger than NASCAR," it's better and all this stuff. You go, "Come on, it's not going to happen." Yeah. Be realistic about this. But um, I think the, if I was going to say what I would do, I think we need for the top pro riders, we need a common series of fewer events to crown the best dirt rider in the world. And right now we got three series, mm-hmm. so. I think, like you say at the end of the year, okay, who's the best guy? Right. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's just it's like the old days of college football. You know, it's like, well, gee, Oklahoma, yeah, they, oh, it could be Ohio. Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think how, how do you go to the mainstream media and say we don't even have a champion of our sport? Yeah, we race ten, eleven months a year, and we don't even have a champion. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You you got European champions, and you have uh, Supercross champions. And you have motocross champions in America. You're right. So if you want to go big, mm-hmm. you got to solve the simple problems first, which we haven't been able to do. No, I know, I know, and I feel like, like I know the I know Feld went to the FIM in a brilliant move to you know kind of stop Jam Sports from 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 having their series because the AMA sold it to them and blah, blah, blah. That's old history. But I feel like the last thing we need is another uh, organization with alphabets trying to tell people what to do, you know? Well, I think the difference is leadership versus, um, you know, just continuing to do the same thing. There's really the leadership part of it is most important, you know, and I think the definition of a good leader is somebody you want to follow instead of somebody you have to follow. Yeah. Yeah, very, very, very smart on that. Um, well, hey, Bruce, thank you, uh, thank you for doing this. MotorcycleSuperstore.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. I uh, love uh, your thoughts. Interesting guy. Uh, like I said, you've done a ton in the sport. Um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting, all the things that has happened under your watch and the great riders that have won and left and come back and won again and new riders. Uh, not too many people in the pits can uh, – can say that. So, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Well, thanks Steve. And, uh, we'll see you at, uh, the next race, which is uh, Unadilla. Yeah. We'll see you at Unadilla. Yep. All right. Thanks Bruce. Okay. See you. All right. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis show presented by Fox racing. 
forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey,